Welcome back to another episode of Sales Tales. You got the cowboy and the Commodore coming at you again. It's it's cold outside, Dave. It is cold. It's baby, it's cold outside. It is. It's uh I think tomorrow's minus three is the high. That's so for the time birds. to buckle up. Yeah, I don't like that. I I I'm gonna just sit by the fireplace at all times. Look. Got a question for you that's relevant to this episode. Have you, have you ever seen persistence pay off? Absolutely. Um, a dogged pursuit, uh, being persistent, uh, does pay off. Persistence does pay off. You know, it's like, uh, what's uh, 95% of success is showing up and showing up on time. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it's interesting. Like, in in sales, a lot of times persistence, I feel like gets uh, gets connoted with the idea that we're being pushy or annoying. Yeah, it can come across that way. I think it's the way you uh, the way you approach it uh, matters. There's some good examples of that out there. Yeah, yeah. I, Seth, in this episode, Seth Penn, uh, fantastic uh fan, fantastic sales tale here you know and he he'll, he'll tell you about it in the interview that we have coming up in just a few but he's he's one of these guys you know he had to do a lot of door-to-door stuff and he had to go around and and um, meet people in person and he's trying to get a guy to utilize his trucks and he keeps coming back and he can't control the need he can't make the guy change his situation but he can be top of mind and persistence can create being relevant yeah so when they're ready you know when they're ready they're the first person you think about and you get that call that's right yeah i used to work in uh, the real estate uh sector i was in the marketing department at uh, a company called douglas element real estate any new yorkers listening absolutely know who i'm talking about here that was uh that's something i'll talk about on this show a lot just because i was i wasn't i wasn't in sales but i was adjacent to sales in in marketing it was my job to help them sort of uh enable what they were doing I, it, back then sales enablement wasn't really a um, a, a defined function that companies had figured out. So it was an extension of marketing. And so we did a lot of tools. And one of the, one of the primary tools at that time was a direct mail system that we were using. And, and you know, I used to tell them, look, it's, it, this is about helping you stay relevant. It's about helping you stay top of mind. You're not going to write a postcard headline that is going to magically make somebody Listen. change their mind. <laughs> And sell and list their house with you. That's not how it works. For some of our younger listeners, we got to go back on this. We're talking uh, direct mail and postcards. Yeah. Yeah. We're dating ourselves. What's the equivalent of that today, you think? Instagram posts. Instagram, (laughs) LinkedIn posts, Snapchat. It's all out there. It's all out there. Same thing. I I did the same thing. So direct mail and uh, postcards. But you're right. It's about being, you know, you're, you want to just be present in front of the prospects. The other thing about persistence, I think that we don't think about in terms of selling is it's what you do every day 
do you have the discipline to do what's required every day to control what, you know, control the uncontrollable, I guess, at least bring as much into your part of the world you control as possible. We can control what we do every day. Or, you know, yeah. when we get up, when we do our sales behaviors, how we approach every prospect with the same quality and the same consistency. So that is a that is also per being persistent, being consistent and persistent in your pursuit of prospects. So it has a lot of aspects. Yeah, and, you know, and I think a lot of listeners would would agree that we live in a world of instant gratification. And a lot of people think that the first time I call, the first time I pop by, the first time I send somebody uh, an in-mail on LinkedIn that I'm going to get a meeting. And when I don't, this channel doesn't work. My wording wasn't good enough. Mm -hmm. Those are all things to analyze. But in the scheme of things, it's the behavior, it's the persistence that ultimately drives that meeting. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a good place to break off. And let's do food from the road, Dave. So our next food from the road takes us to Orlando, Florida. So I don't know, a lot of sellers spent a lot of time in Orlando. Uh, a lot of companies there. There's also a lot of conferences there, trade shows and whatnot. So in Orlando... And this is all going to be reserved for your very finest, highly qualified prospects and clients is Cristini's. Cristini's Italiano, it's in Orlando. This place is amazing. So obviously Italian food, but it is white tablecloth authentic. When you go in there, if you get if you have a party of eight, I'd recommend getting the table in the middle of the room. And again, white tablecloth, round tables, the wait staff is all in white coats. And, and they're like ninjas, they're waiter ninjas. They come in, they're cleaning crumbs off your table you didn't even know you had. So that's the level of quality we're talking about. Two things, the seafood tower is, I think it's four feet tall. So definitely have to partake in that. But the one thing about Christini's that is amazing uh, and hilarious is they have an in-house accordion player. And he's Polish, his name is uh, Darius Grabowski. And this man, I talked to him. He said he's walking around the place you can imagine playing his accordion, right? And he's playing all the, you know, what you think all the Italian, think of Godfather, right, Josh? Think Godfather accordion yeah, yeah, I'm songs, right? It. You got it? Now, but he goes around and takes requests. And I'm like, first time i met him i'm like what do you take requests on the accordion like i don't even know any accordion songs to even request right he goes no no i know 2000 songs and i go okay sure whatever mr accordion man and he and, played and whatever I, you I, want. I asked him i said all right fine um let's go with um uh the devil went down to georgia <laughs> he's like no way I, and he looked at his keyboard, fussed around a little bit, and he goes, I got that. And sure enough, he breaks off, Devil went down to Georgia, including the, you know, the guitar solo in the middle and everything. Yeah, and, uh, dude, that is like the fiddle. The fiddle. Oh yeah, like yeah. the fiddle, yeah, exactly. 
So anyway, that, that I, a, a four foot tall seafood tower. That's yes, and, large. And and so then the next time I talk to the accordion guy, and I know this may not be for everybody, but it's definitely worth going there for those two things. But he goes, yeah. I, I looked at him. He goes, you know, I'm kind of a big deal. This is the accordion player, and I go. He goes, Google my name. I Google his name. He goes, by the way, I'm only going to be second in the search results because the Polish prime minister at the time has my same name. Oh, and sure, wow. and sure enough, he's like uh, the go-to Sony recording artist. So anyway, go to Christini's. Uh, you know, it's got a three or four dollar signs on it, but it's definitely worth it for your uh, for your best customers or prospects. Tell him Dave sent you. Let's get into this episode with Seth Penn. Before I came into sales, it was I was absolutely the farthest thing from it, construction, that kind of thing, that that environment. So when I um, when I came to Aero, which is uh, we sell used trucks, um, used semi trucks. When I came there, I was in Atlanta, and I started as a sales rep, and I was there for about five and a half years. And for half of the time, I was a really good employee to have for Aero. The other half. Um, I struggled mightily, and I am lucky that they had patience. Um, but from that, I went to Houston as a sales manager for about a year uh, before the, I was asked to go to St. Louis as a manager and for about four years. But the coolest thing, um, the, our company posted a position for a director of training and development. And honestly, that was an easy position for me to want. And it was birthed by all the pain that I kind of went through learning sales in Atlanta, um, the trauma between the head trying to figure out what's wrong with me and how do I sell and how do I do this? And I remember thinking, man, if I'm ever lucky enough to be in a position to help someone else not have to deal with that kind of brain damage for that long, like I did, I'd sure love to do it. And so uh, my family and I moved to Kansas City a little over three years ago, I think it is. Mm -hmm. um, yep. and, uh, and so that is where um, I started. Now, since then, um, the paintbrush on my focus and responsibilities has widened quite a bit. Yep. And today, I am um, I'm my. I think my official title today is I am part of the RSC, the Retail Sales Committee for Aero Truck Sales. So it, it it's been a blast um, being able to navigate the company and help our people, and, and you know just to kind of see some intricacies, but. But all of that is just on top of a foundation and that foundation has to be there. Um, and that's the sales and that's the, how we, how we approach our customer, our why, and we've got to keep that front and center. And so that's how I've come to where I am. I'm extremely proud of the company that I've worked with for home, going on 12, 12 and a half years or so. Wow. That's a long time. That's awesome. I, yes. I appreciate like the, Sounds like you you had like sort of an emotional connection to what you're doing, just in in terms of like I don't want somebody else to have to experience this. That's why I'm doing it. That's pretty powerful. Yeah, they say um, what is it? They say uh, experience is life's greatest teacher. I agree. Um, I would just anytime I can, if someone could just use the pain of mine, that'd be better. I've already <laughs> done that. Right. Well, you know, David told me you, that you wrote a book, Seth. You want to tell us about that? Yeah, um, I wrote a book called Sales Through the Eyes of a Climber. Um, and on the surface, it, it's not fabricated. It is a real, unfortunately, 
and painful journey on how I got into the sales profession. And uh, not my management years, just the first few years in sales specifically, because I had such a hard time um, making any progress at all. And so I wrote a book about my journey um, and that's in there, but what also is in there is what I learned. And this is gonna sound really odd, but at the time I was an obsessed rock climber. That's all I did every day. And when I would go to climb, there was principles and there was things that I knew that if I did and repeated and did it again the same way, I would get to the top um, when so many other people couldn't. And so it was a help for me there. And it took a while. But then I started asking myself, I wonder if what I learned on the rock could also apply in my everyday and sales. And luckily for me, I had zero to lose because I absolutely sucked at the time and sales <laughs> And, and so in no, no harm in trying. And sure enough, there are stronger correlations, you know, between the two than, than what I knew. And, and so it helped me be able to get a core, a true north, my principles, and out of those principles and true north, um, a repeatable sales strategy was born for me. And so that's, uh, that's, that's kind of how it all came in. And so this book, um, isn't about my journey. It's about sharing a solution that kind of like what we were just talking about could maybe save some other people from having to go through years and years of the same struggles I did. Wow. Rock climbing. That We're back yeah. to extreme sports here, Seth. This is that was when I was so, younger. Okay. T- tell us about that. Like what, what, uh, is there a particular mountain? Uh, I don't even know how to ask a question about this. Like, is there a particular mountain that you like are building? I don't know. What were you climbing? I definitely was not climbing buildings. I find that uh, people get fined and ticketed and, and arrested for that kind of stuff. So <laughs> no joking. Um, you know, the uh, as far as the mountain goes, didn't really have a specific mountain. It was any time that you could be a, kind of out in, in the wilderness, out in the wild. There's beautiful places 20 minutes away from Nashville, Tennessee, if you know where to look. And I think that's where my love of climbing came into was that it always seemed like you were in the most beautiful spot of the country anyway, doing something cool. And so no, even if you had a rough day climbing or you didn't get to the top like you would hope to, um, you at least got to spend the day outside and, and just enjoying nature. It was cool. And so that was kind of where the love kind of came in. So as far as mountain, no, I don't have a specific, but I have uh, been lucky enough to travel throughout the United States. So that's cool. That's awesome. Without spoiling the book for us, can you give us some sense of how that climbing experience translates to the sales world? Yeah. Um, you know, there, there's a story in my book um, that it, it's really telling. It's cool. It changed my life. Um, if I was to tell someone that I am who I am today, I'm where I'm at today, because I took my eight and 10 year old daughters repelling. Um, and that's, that's who taught me the principles that I live by. I mean, it sounds far flown, but the truth was one of the stories, um, and it's not a professional thing, but I took my daughters out for a weekend with dad. Um, you know how that goes. You get the two kids ready. You remember the rules, you know, when the wife's not there, no kids can get hurt on your watch because that'll <laughs> get us in trouble. And I find that if you return those kids in the same shape, roughly that you took them in, um, you're able to do those things again and again. And so um, I know that that some of the things I did was kind of um, 
kind of out there, kind of uh, adrenaline rush kind of stuff. And so I kind of shielded my daughters from some of that. And so they, they always were very interested in climbing in the outdoors. And, and so finally, one day I said, you know what, I'm going to teach my girls how to rappel for the first time. Now, for me, I could climb, you know, I've climbed a couple thousand feet of climbing before and rappelled down. And so to me, when, when I was thinking about 80 or 90 feet, I'm thinking, that's simple. And so uh, Friday night, um, we packed up, went to, I think it was Northern Alabama, you know, did the, did the camping thing. We sat down, got the tents in there, but it was all smiles. The next morning, I wake up out of my tent and I look and both my daughters are stomach down looking straight over this cliff. Oh. <laughs> Their eyes were like this, right? I mean, it freaked them out. And that's when I realized that maybe to them, 80 or 90 feet was still like just insanely high. And so um, without boring all the safety stuff, of course, as a dad, I made sure that everything was was done there. And in fact, um, I had an extra line on my girls. That way, if they didn't do it, they wouldn't fall an inch. And so um, I had everything set up there, but I wanted my oldest daughter to go first. And uh, her name is Emery, and uh, it was awesome. She was so excited, but I could tell as the rope, you know, and everything started, the harness gets on, she's starting to kind of get anxiety. And so when I tell her that her first move is to drop over the ledge, and now it's just a rope holding her instead of her standing on the ground, um, that uh, that externalized some tears. And <laughs> so I'm not going to go, I mean, this was a, this whole story I'm about to tell you is two and a half hours of me trying to help her overcome her fear to get down. So I'm yeah. going to try to wrap it up in a minute. So she drops over this thing. She's crying. I'm like, Embry, you just have to go down the ground. She goes, I just want to be down to the ground. I just want to be on the ground. And I said, uh, I said, all you got to do is just kind of loosen up on the brake and you'll drop a couple of feet. You'll be fine. Just try it. She did it. It freaked her out bad because now, you know, she's just pretty <laughs> oh, no. So anyway, I'm like, Emery, you can't be, she said, I just want to be on the ground. And that's all she said over and over again. I can't tell you how many times we had starts and stops. Um, but I can tell you this, extremely impressed with my, with my oldest daughter's will to survive. Because if you hold a rope tight, like death grip for two hours, I can only assume that takes a lot, <laughs> a lot of effort. And she just would not let go of that thing. But anyway, two hours later, she finally gets on the ground. She's shaking. She's on the ground. She, I just want to be on the ground. That's all she ever said. Yeah. And so done. One down, one to go. Unfortunately, my middle daughter, Emily, um, would, she, she witnessed what was going on with my oldest daughter. She was having none of it. She didn't want on the rope. She didn't want to repel nothing. So <laughs> anyway, she said, hey, dad. Can I, uh, can I just go down this little ravine thing and not do the rope thing? And I'm like, sure, let me put this stuff up and I'll meet you over there. I had never seen this ravine thing really. So I went real quick, put my stuff up. I went to find her, I couldn't find her. And I go over there by the ravine and my middle daughter, and I can't, I wish I had a picture. There, there is, there's two walls. They're like this. There's nothing in between the two walls. It's just walls. They're like maybe four to five feet apart. And for a girl that's eight years old, you can imagine that's probably pretty significant. I look down the ravine, she's a third of the way down, guys. <laughs> no rope, no safety. I'm looking at it going, this is, this is terrifying. Now, here's where I was at. I was like, do I say something? 
do I tell her to be careful? You can't fly, honey. <laughs> yeah, but but then again, I'm like, man, I don't want to say anything because good God, if I said something and freaked her out, you know, I wouldn't want right. to be that guy. And so anyway, five minutes later, she is on the ground and I go ahead and follow her down. I'm super impressed. But all I could think of is, oh my God, if my little girl drops 80 feet, you know, yeah, like yeah. I'm not calling my wife, period. I'm not even yeah, calling her. Uh, hopefully know? she's not going to listen to this podcast. Yeah, she's read the book. Um, oh, all right. Um, it's easier to ask for forgiveness, you know, afterwards. But anyway, um, but she knew about it. We told about it. And Emily, my youngest daughter, was so proud of herself. And honestly, I was too. But the what I, what I was so just taken back by was she didn't get freaked out. She just got all the way down. So later that night, we were sitting around the camp. And I said, Emily, I said, how in the world did you keep it together? And she looked at me and she goes, well... I knew where I wanted to go, but then I just kind of put a hand in one spot and a foot in another. And I knew that if I just kept doing that, I'd get to where I wanted to go. And I know it's a long story, but the thing that my big aha moment um, was that it is core today is focus on results leads to hope. My oldest daughter wanted to get down. She kept focusing on getting down, but yet she didn't get down. My youngest daughter, she focused on the behaviors needed to get to the ground. And that was her focus. And her focus stayed right there until she was on the ground. And it taught me a lot about not just sales, but life and how I look at a lot of things. And, and really, I mean, definitely, definitely changed the way I looked at sales. But everything can really be there. Because when I think about it, I was like, I want this to happen. But what exactly am I doing or not doing to, to get that to to, to happen for me and so and that's with results that's with selling trucks that's with that's with just going out and hunting for business when you don't feel like it um being able to focus on the disciplines and the things that's needed so anyway that's my story um wow. on that and that's in the book that's just one of them yeah that's 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 amazing seth like it, especially the the tie-in you know to how these these small pieces these little things that you do and I like how you put it in, in the right order. Like those small things can lead to hope. I, mm -hmm. I think, I think if it's the other way around, you know, uh, some people cling to hope or just kind of have that sitting out there and they don't do the work or do the little things or the behaviors is, as you put it in order to get things to happen. That's, that's a great, uh, that's a great segue. I think into, you know, on this podcast, we'd like to ask, uh, our guests uh, about uh, some specific experiences that they've had and I'm excited already just your storytelling abilities is uh, gonna make this a good one like can you think of uh, what we would call a sales tale like what's the what's something in your career sales wise that you're most proud of <laughs> Ooh, that's a hard question for me to answer um the thing that I'm most proud of is just um, uh, continuing to be able to help others find success in sales. Um, that's kind of where my heart is now. But if I was thinking back to when I was selling, um, you know, I sold in Atlanta and St. Louis, I think I'll tell you one. So Atlanta was, um, is, it, and today they're big in it to it but at the time that I was in Atlanta they were starting to get more into the movie business um kind of like the southeast Hollywood in a way mm -hmm. and I cannot for the life of me remember but I think it's the walking dead that was filmed there in Atlanta and the reason why I'm saying this is because as a salesman 
um, newer into sales my first couple of years. Um, I didn't know what I was doing, but I knew this. I knew there was this company that had a lot of what we sold and I wanted to get in with them because I felt like their company was going to grow because The Walking Dead was really was really kind of just keeping everybody busy. So I went to, and about an hour away from the office, I drove. I drove and uh, they were a production company. So these are the trucks and trailers that do the generators. They have the trailers for the cast and all that stuff. They supply the power for the set and everything. So they are, they're, they're significant in the role. And so I was like, man, if I could just get in with them and start selling them trucks, my goodness, this would be an outstanding account for me to have. So made the trip up there, hour, hour in the car through Atlanta traffic, got to his door. I get in there and there's a lady at the desk and he has like this massive window. I can see him, he can see me. And uh, I was like, hey, my name is Seth. Now I wasn't very good at my job. I'm not saying I had anything to offer, but I would have expected more than what I got. And uh, I said, hey, my name is Seth. I work with Arrow. I sell used trucks. If you guys ever need anything, you know, the, the thing. And uh, anyway, he looked at me and he just like gave this little like shoot fly. Flicked you away. <laughs> flicked, flicked me away. Um, I'm devastated. Um, I didn't plan a very planned day. So I went back to the office, tail between my legs. Anyway, I decided that I wasn't going to stop. I was going to try him again in a few months. So I had him on rotation for like every three months. I set it up to go and see him again. I don't know why I'd want to put myself through that again, but I did it. Second time I come in there, he see me and he shook his head and went like this before I could even open my mouth. Okay, so he, he shoes you away again. This time, like you're a slightly larger animal. Okay, right, I've grown. He shoot him away more quickly. He, you're at a distance, and he shoot. <laughs> I just wish he wouldn't have had. I mean, honestly, if he just wouldn't have had that window, so I could see it, it wouldn't have been so, you know, like so so violent to me, you know, at the time. But I went back to the office again, third time, went out to him. And he looked up at me and then he turned back to his desk and then the lady said, hey, he's here again. And he just kind of, he didn't, he just wouldn't do it. Guys, I did it for over a year and five different times I went there and he would never give me the time of day. So if you really want to know what my favorite sales tale is, it's about a half a year later when I'm sitting at my office and my phone rings. And this is exactly, this was, I'll never forget it. It was 1030 in the morning. This guy obviously was just, he was busy and he had a lot of things going on. And he called me, he said, anybody that is dumb enough to keep coming back after we have been very clear that we don't care, deserves to have the first call when we need something. However many trucks you can get to my yard by two o'clock today, I'll have a check waiting for you. And uh, I need them now. And he hung up. <laughs> I don't have a CDL, you know, and, and so I had a range drivers. And I remember this is an hour north and this is 1030 more. So I had to real quickly, I'm looking at every truck on my lot thinking I'm going to sell a hundred trucks to this guy. But re reality is in a couple hours with that, I couldn't get very many, but I got, I think I got five up there. And sure enough, he just went out there and he said, here's a check for him. Here's my signature. And he looked at me and he shook my hand. And that was the last conversation we ever had. But 
to me, that's a sales story that will live in my memory forever because it's not about me and what I say or what I do or what I don't do. It's just sometimes you win because you're talented. For me, I'm so grateful. Sometimes you win because of your grit and your willingness to persevere no matter what the temporary optics happen to tell you. So if you want to know my that, that one will forever live in my memory. So when you look back on that, okay, mm -hmm. so kind of knowing what you know now, right? Mm -hmm. So obviously there was a lot going on in that scenario. Um, knowing what you know now, what was, what was actually, what were you actually doing then that made that successful? David, I didn't do, I, I don't even think he heard my voice. Like, I, I think well, the thing that I was doing was showing him that, that I was a partner that would be, be with him regardless of what the opposition would look like. And I think that I kind of feel like in a way, um, whether, you know, we didn't say anything, I would like to think that he maybe gained some respect out of my diligence. Um, maybe, right? Yeah. Maybe. Um, but, you know, I didn't, it's, and it's so weird because that's a company, the majority of our customers, of course, are either on the phones or online or coming in the office. And of course, with those, these are people that want to talk to us. They want to buy what we sell or they're at least interested in it. This guy couldn't have cared about me for nothing. And every, I remember people in the office would kind of laugh and say, oh, we've tried to get their business for years. How cool was it pumping my chest that, that one, you know, after a year and a half of struggling, it happened. You know, it's interesting. One thing you said that, I mean, it's all kind of connected. The one thing that you said about your daughter, right, was her, just her focus on, you know, what, from a sales perspective, we talk about behaviors, right? So mm -hmm. just doing what you need to do every day, which also includes that, the guts to do that and stay consistent mm -hmm. in spite of outcomes. Yeah, again, focusing on behaviors over results. Right. You know, so you're just like, I'm going to do my behaviors because that's what I need to be doing. And, and, and this prospect is on my list until he's not. Right. So I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to get a no, I'm going to get a yes. I'm not accepting anything in between. I'm just going to continue to do the behaviors. And, and in the end, right. So there's a one-time customer, but what a valuable uh, lesson in, in what you need to do, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, uh, it was awesome. It was an awesome time. SDRs and BDRs who, you know, are listening to this podcast and these are, these are people who, who do what you're doing every day. Maybe it's not a window. Maybe it's not, I'm walking up somewhere. But there's phone calls. There's a digital version of this same thing. Oh, it's I, a window. Oh, yeah. There's, I'm <laughs> on the other end of the phone, like, looking at the number. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're getting flicked away. I'm constantly. getting flicked away without away. even seeing it, right? Like, I'm not taking that call. Yeah, yeah. But there's something about being ever present and, and being there. And there's some answer that you're getting in some way when someone doesn't tell you no. It just means not now. And I got to keep showing up because as, as you put it, Seth, like anybody who's willing to be there for nothing is, is somebody I want to call whenever it's time for me to do something. I think, I think what I learned 
and it's, and this is where the and and it's hard upstairs for for especially commission salespeople is we hear it. it sounds logical yes do the same thing that you know that leads to success and results happen that sounds wonderful but the problem is we are constantly pressurized to view success as in the paycheck and I remember that month that I sold those guys those trucks I had a great month obviously um, and everybody yeah. said, wow, Seth, you had a great month. And I said, I disagree. I sold those trucks a year and a half ago. And in alignment with what I did a year and a half ago, I stuck to it. Today, didn't I, I didn't have a great month this month. I had a really good vision about a year and a half ago. And so then it kind of changes the way you look at a lot of things. Like, yeah. man, when was success given? And so that's that helped me because, you know, every half of the month is like fresher. What are you going to get out? What are you going to close? What deals are you going to get committed and tied up? I mean, all these day-to-day things hit us, but when you can like sit back and I've been lucky enough to do it, to be able to look and say, wow, I got these results here, but the truth is the success was actually gained way back here, well before the results happened. So that's kind of what my takeaway was, um, not just that, but on a lot of things with sales. Wow. Yeah. Well put. I, the, the behaviors or the things that I'm doing today are what make that sale 18 months from now. That's, that's definitely something that'll change your mind. That's, that's great. Uh, let's go the other way. So okay. we also like to ask about a sales fail. So what's the time where you look back over your career? What's something you'd like to have back or do differently specific uh, experience from from this morning already or are you go- <laughs> how, how recent do you want me to go i got sure. it. you know what i am uh i'm lucky i have so many failures to draw on um to answer your question I, what's one that you just let's just have some fun with this because you know look i mean we all have do you like, want what's, a humiliating one, story? what's one you just went down in flames like it was just oh, ridiculous yeah what's the most entertaining <sighs> Entertaining for you or me? Well, uh, for us, of course. For us, us, yeah. For us. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? Um, I was I was new. Gosh, I have failures like all over the place. Yeah. Um, I love them. Um, but uh, but the one of the most humiliating ones. I was newer into sales, just like a couple weeks in. So newer into profession, just learning my product obviously didn't know everything but as a new person you feel like wow you're like in this awesome growth where you're taking in all this knowledge you feel like you are now the expert after a couple weeks and so um anyway I decided to go uh, out to a farm and uh, this farm guys I mean this is just your farm it's that stinky farm you know with the cattle and the pig I mean it's just big but anyway this guy this customer had a trucking operation um no doubt to be able to help with his fields and things like that, a lot of them. I go in there and this was like one of my first uh, sales calls. And uh, this, and you know what? This one's in the book too, I think, a part of it. Um, but I walk in there and there's this cowboy guy, you know, he just looks the part, you know, he's like, he's basically a cast member on Yellowstone. I was going to say, are we talking like <laughs> Rip, Yellowstone <laughs> Rip or one of the guys? Yeah, but he the- was, unlike Rip, he had a little empathy. Um, okay. thank God. Uh, all right. So I walk in there, you know, the, the fairing, they call it a fairing house. You know, it's just like dim lit lights. It kind of, nothing's neat. 
anyway, I just stand there and he's a nice guy and he's, t- and I was like, Hey, and this was my, this was my first sales pitch. And this is when I knew that, oh my God, I'm never going to make it in sales. And, and I said, Hey, my name's Seth. I work for uh, Aero Truck Sales. If you ever need a truck, I'd love to sell you one of those trucks. I see that you have quite a few trucks out there. And uh, if any of those trucks happen to go down, I'd love to sell your replacement truck. And like, all I kept saying was the freaking truck word. Oh, because oh, that's the only thing I can remember. Yeah. And anyway, he, I'll never forget it. He looked at me. I don't even know if I can duplicate it. He, he did like one of these things. He did like. <laughs> just like the, just the total you? scrunchy face. Oh, like, yeah. Like, he's like, is this guy for real right now? <laughs> he went Renee Zellweger on you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I had, you know, I was just that I looked like a new sale. I was the guy that never owned a pair of khakis until I, you know, or dress slacks before I got into sales. So, everything's awkward right it's my it's my cheap little sunday shoes that i haven't worn i mean just the whole giddy up i'm i'm sure anyway i he just looks at me never says anything and he says well you know what i'll keep you in mind if i'm ever in the market for anything i appreciate you stopping by that is like the nicest thing he could have absolutely done and you would think that i would have just yes sir thank you for your time and just with my tail between my legs again you know run out of there and uh and back in my jeep and fly out of his farm but nope i decided nope, to explode. you doubled down you doubled down time <laughs> to prolong the exposure to hell <laughs> anyway i looked at he had like 15 trucks up there and i looked at him and i said man i said hey um absolutely and you have an awesome an awesome set of internationals out there and he said kind of looked at me again, kind of gave me another one of those little scrunchy faces again. <laughs> and I just kept walking. And I was like, wonder why he gave me that look again. Get in my car, looked, and all of his trucks were Kenworths. They were absolutely not internationals. So like, when you talk about going down in flames, here's a guy who runs a very successful, long-standing business farm. And not only did I just completely muff up the, the entire first go of it, then on my way out, I exited and rehash all the embarrassment but you know i learned something that day um i learned a lot of things that day yeah what were your t- so again like looking back you know so you know current seth right mm-hmm. looking back on on baby selling seth like what would you have done differently well i i had no business going to a business without knowing my products and and honestly more than that um the industry that the products serve and if I would have been a little educated, I maybe could have gained some trust. Now, fast forward seven years later, and this is another story, but um, he has bought, I think, 20 or 30 trucks from Aerial Truck Sales. Um, nice. But it didn't have that happen that day. It happened six or seven years later. And um, that day became a joke every time I seen him after that. So... But I learned that I needed to know my industry. I needed to know my customers. I needed to know what was important to them. I needed to know why what I sold impacted them. And if I didn't know that answer, I had no business wasting their time. Mm-hmm. So that's what I learned. Nice. It's a good takeaway. So having 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 clarity on why, you know, number one, is this even is this even a customer for us? Is even the right kind of Sounds like it might be. I mean, they've got trucks, right? So on the surface, but having clarity on how you can help, how do you do that? Like, what's the best way to get 
gain an understanding of how you can help somebody. Well, I mean, it's obvious if I know who we are and I know what we sell, the missing piece is the customer. And the only way to do that is to create an environment where they're open to share. And, yeah. and, and so you have to have a, you have to have just something at least a reason for them to open up and share. But once that can happen, then we can find out where they're at because it doesn't matter where we're at. It matters where they are. And it doesn't matter what we think is, is going to work. It only matters what they do. But the only way we know that is if we ask. Yeah, that's yeah. it. Ask you questions. feel in, in, in your story, Seth, you, you mentioned like just on your way up, huh, a lot of nice internationals. Like, and um, I, I wonder in your just kind of journey at that point, were you just in a place where you felt like you had to compensate for not knowing the product. Like, I feel like when, when I'm coaching SDRs and, and, uh, and BDRs who are doing that same kind of thing to it, it notch that initial appointment, they're really, uh, they're, they're, they're really focused on, I, I gotta be an expert on this before I can be effective. And sure, you gotta know your product, but you can't make it limit you. You can't. Mm. You can't let it feed your reluctance to call I or agree. your your stuff. So, uh, I I just wonder like if I'm trying too hard to be an expert, I'm going too far in it. Does that hurt me? And where's the balance? Like, if if, if you're new and you're somebody in in maybe your position uh, who's listening to this show, um, how? how much about my own stuff do I need to know before I can, I can be effective selling? Well, you put the, before I can be effective um, selling. I think that the more knowledge that we have, it builds confidence and that's important. Um, you, like, as far as what you need to know, I would say for anybody um, in sales, the more they can understand their product, the better, but not, but how we're looking at that product is different. The, the, Things I want to know everything about is why is my product good for this customer? Or what are the drawbacks to my product that I sell? Um, but I will tell you this, and it's funny you bring that up. Um, I went through a little stage in my, after that, that day at that farm, I thought I had to be an expert and I started gobbling up information and I became very knowledgeable. But to answer your question, um, my sales did not improve at all. Um, what I could do is I could absolutely start to hold a really good conversation with anybody. And I thought foolishly that they would be so over just astonished at my wisdom and industry knowledge. They would just trust and they would just buy trucks. I mean, well, what I realized is that people don't really need it. I mean, you don't have to be the expert on everything. The truth is what you need to be expert on is what's like the biggest key things for them. And then again, the only way to get there is to ask them, you know, What's important to you? And then even if you know a bunch of other stuff over here, you don't need to bring them up. What you need to do is just kind of instead of saying, hey, I'm the expert on this and this and this and this and this, and then all of a sudden you're talking the whole time your customer is just kind of looking at you. But if you know that, hey, I'm concerned about this one thing, like for instance, if we have a customer come to our dealership and they want, if they're looking for a truck for safety or a truck on fuel efficiency, those are two different things. And so if I'm showing them a fuel efficient truck because that's what they said they wanted 
And then I go off on all these other wonderful things that I know about the truck that they could care less. I'm going to lose my customer. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's not what we know. It's, it's being able to weave that in and be able to make them feel confident with their decision without boring them to death with useless mm-hmm. facts. Easiest way to do that is to turn the student into the teacher and let them teach us about our products. Because at the end of the day, it's what they believe that, that is the most important anyway. I always feel like I'm, I'm going to, if I'm going to buy something, I'm going to go with whatever is, it, who, whoever's, I feel understands my problem the most. Because right. if, if, if we can connect on that, then I have some confidence, faith, trust in you. And it's the salesperson's job to ask the right questions in order to help them develop that. And I think that's a perfect example, not only for just the outcome that you gave us, but it's also an interesting exercise for any sales managers who are listening out there. Like, can you play the dummy? Can you go in and not only sort of give your can give the control and authority and power to the salesperson to make them mm-hmm. feel like they they're the expert in the situation to help them grow, but also you might learn something yourself. Absolutely. That's great. Seth is the author of Sales Through the Eyes of a Climber. Where can people pick this up? Oh, man. You know, um, I know Barnes & Noble has it. I have a website, sethpenauthor.com. People can go there and order the books. Uh, I'll be honest with you, after I started with one or two, it seems like a lot of people back off it. So the truth is, I I think you can buy the book anywhere online. Um, There's a lot of different retailers today that have it. Okay. All right. Anywhere you find books, you will find sales through the eyes of a climber. Seth Penn, thanks for joining us. And uh, it's been a great discussion, buddy. Good to meet you. Yeah, man. I appreciate the time. Thanks, Seth. Hey, if you're into disclaimers, this next part is really going to rock your world. Sales Tales is a Kaufman Group podcast. The Kaufman Group is a franchisee of the Sandler Network, all rights reserved. No portion of this publication may be used without the express written permission of Sandler Systems, LLC. Sound engineering for this podcast by C2D2 Films.